Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk. Poole, I guess this is the first. I get to be in the studio with you. I know we recorded a video the other day, but we are recording in outdoor country talk studio we are in the studio the air condition is on we are we are yep. actually set up running the water is back on so we do have running water we did not have running water until just a few minutes ago <laughs> uh i came over earlier and made sure the air was set down so we could record and the company that had this building before had already turned the water off so i had to call town real quick and had to get the amenities going. And get them. But, you know, today we've had a lot of new firsts here lately, but today's yeah. really a, another new first. We're recording our first podcast That's of right. three for Delta Waterfowl. We are. We are. We've had recently started a new series, and now we're uh, we're starting a new one with with the company that we're uh, we're pretty familiar with. We've had a good bit of involvement. Actually mentioned it, mentioned organizations several times on our podcast already. Excited to get this going, and I guess we've got the uh, – the head man himself with us today to actually get this kicked off. We do. We've got the big head to hunt show on. We do. We do. We'll, uh, we won't, maybe he's not listening yet, but, uh, you know, we don't want to pump him up too big. But yeah, we've got, uh, we've got the CEO of Delta Waterfowl with us, Dr. Scott Petrie. How are you today, Doc? Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me on, Jacob and Jeremy. I'm looking forward to talking to you folks. Man, we're glad to have you. Look, I've been looking forward to this for several weeks since we first, you know, talked about this. I was like, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's not going to be the norm. We can have fun with it and and really kind of tell folks why you need to get into organizations, why, you know, we spend so much time and energy in Delta Waterfowl trying to grow hunters and grow a sport that we're very passionate about, and I know you are too. Well, I mean, you know, just button hitting it real quick, you know, people has asked me, I'm sure they've asked you too, Jacob, like, why do y'all do it? What what do y'all get out of it? Or, you know, y'all getting paid, you know, not, it, no, we're not, but, you know, there's people out there that's, you know, joined in with the, with the chapter that we've got are just as passionate about it. And, you know, with this, with having, you know, Dr. Petrie on, he can explain the passion that he has of, you know, getting into the organization and not really having the uh, the corporate you know speech, if you will, of you know here's why you should be part of Delta. Here's here's our mission. You know, yeah, people can find that, but you know, getting down to the to the you know nuts and bolts of it of you know why people get involved, what the organization does for them, and you know we get to, we get to dive right into it with the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It's it, it's it's wonderful. It, to be a passionate duck hunter and you know it, it's wonderful to talk to passionate duck hunters and 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 almost everybody out there that does duck hunt is is incredibly passionate about not only hunting but but waterfowl conservation and, and research and and policy and the work that we do and 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 we decided about 20 years ago we, we started as a research-based organization and we continue to research to do research but then we realized that you know you know duck hunters they they needed a du- the duck hunters organization which again is what we really are so we're just really proud to protect and and promote hunting at a time when it's really needed in north america you know we, we we're, we're losing opportunities where there's more and more anti-hunters that are that are impacting our ability to do what what we what we love to do and and at, we had we at delta waterfowl we just we we embrace the opportunity to protect protect those those rights and expand the opportunities for duck hunters in north america and and uh, and, if, and if it wasn't for duck hunters um, I, I always call it a symbiotic relationship because duck hunters need us and, and we need duck hunters. And, and it's, it's the duck hunters that are incredibly um, generous or philanthropic in, in providing their time um, with volunteers. As, as, as you guys know, we've got three or 4,000 volunteers in North America that give their, their time and their talent and, and, and their treasure. And, and then we, and, uh, um, which is absolutely fantastic, and and uh, it, it allows us to to go out and, and protect those rights for 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 our fellow hunters. Well, you know, Doc, in our area, turkeys and deer are king. Ducks are really an afterthought because where we live at, it's two hours, 
yeah. three hours to a good duck hunting spot. It's just not – ducks aren't prevalent here. I mean, they're not the, yeah. the primary – so when we started the organization, you know, there were a lot of people like, why ducks? And it's like, we love to duck hunt. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've done our homework, we've looked around, and we think that Delta is a great fit for us and for what we wanted to do with trying to have large kids events and get kids involved – it was a perf- perfect partnership, you know, us us tying together and us doing it and the flexibility that we had to be able to do things, it was it was just really a, a great fit for us and it continues to be and that's been what, seven, eight years now we've had yeah, our chapter you know, together. That's, so I know we've mentioned on the podcast before that, you know, that's pretty much where the uh the chapter spawn was, you know, sitting at the duck camp, you know, sitting around a fire that night just you know, thinking about how we, you know, us as duck hunters, we were at the camp for solely that reason, that we were just sitting around thinking about, you know, what we could do. I think I had been to a, a, a Delta waterfowl event up in North Louisiana while I was up there working and, you know, was telling the guys how good that was and how different that I saw it in, you know, just a duck hunter's eyes that, you know, that was really really something I felt like being a part of that event alone, you know, it, it carried some weight in the duck hunter in the duck hunting world. So whenever we were, you know, wanting to, to form the chapter that we've got here in Southwest Mississippi, you know, that's where it come from, you know, sitting around a duck camp and, you know, duck hunters wanted to, wanted to start it and we did. And, you know, like I say, look at it, we're what, seven, seven years into it. Yeah. You know, kids are, are certainly key and not, not just kids actually introducing new people to waterfowl hunting is critically important for Delta Waterfowl, and, and you know we only have 64 staff. We're, we're we we hit far above our weight class. We do far more than we're we're far smaller than people think we are, because we get so much work done. And again, the reason we're able to get so much done is we've got three to four thousand volunteers that they're the ones that are out there raising the money at the events, and and you know we've set it up such that that each chapter keeps 25 percent of their net revenue, which is really unique in the conservation field and then what that does is it allows them to get kids out hunting it allows them to give um, gives them the opportunity to give uh, a scholarship uh, money to kids that are going to wildlife schools and things like that and it's critically important that we've we've lost like a million about a million duck hunters in the u.s uh since the 1970s so our, our, our numbers of duck hunters have been cut in half and in Canada, where, where I'm originally from, I live in Bismarck, North Dakota now, where our head office is, we've lost two-thirds of our duck hunters. And, and, and people think, you know, some people don't realize why it's it's such a problem and that, yeah, it might give them more space to go out and duck hunt because there's less of us out there. But what it does is it gives us way less political clout. And, and also you've got less people out there buying licenses and making contributions. So it's very important that we keep our duck hunter numbers up. Um, to to continue duck hunting, but also I just every kid in North America should have the opportunity to duck hunt because you know I think if you walk down the street and ask a hundred kids if you, that haven't duck hunted if you want to go duck hunting, ninety five of them will say yes and they'll jump at the opportunity. But unfortunately, most kids just simply don't have the opportunity. So through our chapter system and folks like you guys, we we introduced over twelve thousand people to duck hunting last year which is just absolutely fantastic and and a lot of them are kids but some of them are we're realizing now excuse me sorry that it's very important to to introduce young adults as well because you know they've got vehicles and they've got money and they've they've got time and they and then they're going to have kids that they'll introduce so we're trying to introduce a whole suite of people and again that's done largely through our chapter system so we can't thank you guys enough for that well you know doc um Jeremy and I have been hunting. You've been hunting over the years, uh, you know, a long time. And duck hunting is just different. A lot of people don't get it. You know, when you're deer hunting, that's a single, maybe a two-man or, or, or man and, and a lady or two ladies. You know, it's only a two-person setup. Turkey hunting, kind of the same. You know, squirrel hunting, dog hunting, different things. But when you're working ducks, you can have five, six, ten or more people in a blind and a pit it's just a different atmosphere. It's a camaraderie. I mean, yeah, you build all, friendships, oh, yeah. you're building relationships, you're, you're telling jokes, somebody's messed up, you know, somebody missed a shot and everybody in the blinds ribboning for it. Or, you know, you've had an equipment failure. Uh, 
somebody blew a call at the wrong time and flared everything, <laughs> or you you decided, hey, let's let them pass, swing one more time, and they they swung halfway and then you know went the complete other direction, and then you kick yourself the rest of the day, going, we should have shot them on a second pass. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just a different setup altogether, and even the camp atmosphere in life is different. And that's where people ask us all the time, you know, why duck hunting? Well, why do you duck hunt? You need to come with us. I can't explain it. I need to show you. <clears throat> you know, and, and a lot of people get caught up, well, you got to have so much stuff. Well, yeah, you got to have waders, and you need to have, you know, some decoys, and you need a shotgun. Now, if you'll go with somebody else a couple times, you know, and like we do, we kind of pool resources and everybody, you know, somebody will bring a dog stand. Somebody brings, you know, a blind. Somebody brings, you know, decoys. You know, we kind of work yeah. out different things to where everybody's kind of chipped in and it doesn't cost you that much. But I tell everybody all the time, it's like, hey, how much do you really spend deer hunting? Oh, mm-hmm. I don't have to spend nothing. I've got a rifle and mm-hmm. you got stands, you got feeders, you got cameras. You're still spending the same money. You're just doing it in a different way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting in that it. I've always seen duck hunting as the, the perfect place to to build and strengthen relationships. And and I really do not not suggesting that that families that don't don't duck hunt aren't aren't strong. But I I know within my family, you know, it's it. My my two brothers and I, we don't have that much in common. We do totally different things. We live in different countries. But we absolutely love to get together and hunt, and it really it, and my father as well. It really strength and strengthens and keeps those relationships together, and, and we just were passionate about getting getting together and, and and hunting every year, but also friends as well, and, and building new friendships. And and with that, as far as you know, you know, duck hunting being so labor intensive and and, and financially uh, costly. You know, you think about how we all started duck hunting. We've been doing it for years, the three of us. But you know, you, you've got jump shooting and pass shooting and things like that 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 uh, are are not that expensive. But it it, it does take um, time and and it, it takes knowledge. And and there again, it it, it comes back to um, the apprenticeship type programs where we, we where we it's very important for us to take out new duck hunters because we forget. You know how much duck hunting knowledge we have in our heads. You know we we've we've been doing it for decades. So there's there's all kinds of information out there that we 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 forget that we have, and it'd be like me trying to go out and take up golf, which is something I'm really not interested in, but uh, without somebody telling me how to do it. So it's very important that we we embrace these new duck hunters and get them out there and show them show them how to do it. And yeah, you don't have to have a a 2000 spread of, of snow goose decoys in order to be successful if you just you're innovative and and again jump shooting pass shooting to start is, is a great ways to to get introduced to it so yeah well let's kind of follow that line for a second doc uh, we've all been duck hunting for years kind of walk us through how you got started i know you grew up in canada at what age did you start duck hunting up there well, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I, I was brought up with with jump shooting and walking along rivers and shooting ducks as they as you you pushed them up. So you're sneaking along, and and my first memories of duck hunting were were my dad carrying me across the river on his back. So I, I was probably four, and and then my first memories of of actually carrying a shotgun by myself was eleven, and uh, and so I I was you know hunting ducks long before I was licensed to do it because that's what we did back then. And, so a car would come by and hide behind a tree. So I think I was licensed for about three years before I realized I didn't have to hide behind trees when a car went by. So, <laughs> so I was introduced by a father that that you know didn't didn't really hunt that much. You know, he just jump shot and he was a farm. He, he brought up on a farm and and so luckily for me though that he you know I I got lots of spent lots of time on a dairy farm and my grandfather's farm. And duck hunting with my dad, so you 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 quickly learn where your where your your meat comes from, and and you realize that you know killing something isn't isn't uh, there's nothing wrong with with killing to survive, or even kill, killing to recreate, and and so I that's primarily primarily what I did. Like you know the good old days are, are now really like where I lived as a kid. We didn't have deer hunting. We didn't have – there were no turkeys. They'd been extirpated. They'd been brought back now. We didn't have any wood ducks or Canada geese. And all we really had was jump shooting mallards. But 
you know, I go back to southern Ontario now and, you know, again, the good old days are now. You've got dove hunting that you didn't have before. You've got lots of different opportunities, uh, which is fantastic. And, and it also it gives people more opportunities, but it also spreads them out in space and time. But, but fortunately for me, my, my father got transferred to Port Supreme, Manitoba when I was 15, and that was 20 minutes south of the Delta Marsh. And that's when I got introduced to, you know, large flocks of, of snow geese and, and all these different species, canvasbacks and redheads that I'd never seen before and this big water hunting. And, and you know, and, and I, I struggled through it for a long time because I didn't have a mentor. And I, I probably would have – I would have been a lot more successful. And I, I, I don't know if I would have loved it anymore because I did love it even though I went out and shoot much. But it, it was amazing to be at the Delta Marsh just despite my lack, lack of success for the first number of years. And, and that's how I got introduced to Delta Waterfowl as well because Delta Waterfowl's uh, research station and the original head office is 20 minutes north of Portage Prairie at the Delta Marsh. So, and that's what really then made me realize that, wow, you know what? I can make my passion a profession being um, getting into um, waterfowl ecology and management. Now, back then, Doc, was the marsh still no motors? Was everything, you know, like when we were up there a couple of years ago, you had to paddle everywhere you went. It was, you know, trying to keep everything, you know, as, as natural as possible. Was that still the case back then, or did y'all do much by boat or just wade in? Or uh, it, For me, it was all jump shooting um, on potholes and then, and then canoeing out on the Delta Marsh. And, yeah, <clears throat> there, were, there were no motorboats allowed at the time, just, just anything you could paddle. And, you know, for the uninitiated or the ill-informed, a lot of, you know, think that, oh, man, this is terrible that we can't use motorboats. Well, that, that's what's really protected and retained and maintained that marsh and, and the hunting quality there in that, one, you don't have, and I'm not saying motorboats are bad, but in that marsh system, you've got large flocks of migrating waterfowl. You don't want motorboats, you know, roaring around all over the place. And then, and then for for those of us that don't mind paddling a ways, you can get really good at duck hunting because you're not going to have somebody pulling. Unlikely, somebody's going to pull a boat in next to you. You know, ten minutes before first light, ten minutes after first light. So, it really makes it. It's very serene. Um, it's it's a, just a spectacular place to hunt. It's very quiet, and uh, and it's gotten a lot better for various reasons. The duck hunting, you know, it, it declined for a few decades, and, and it's it's much better once again. As you know, Jacob, you're up there a few years ago, pounding canvasbacks and redheads. So, it's certainly a spectacular place to be. Do you know the first duck I shot up there? Uh, probably canvas back, knowing you. Or no, no. I, actually, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, merganser. How's that? <laughs> Mallard. <laughs> Mallard. Okay. First duck I shoot is a greenhead, and I'm like, yeah. okay. I have flown all the way up here yeah. to shoot. You know, to have the opportunity to hunt things that yeah. I really don't get to see back home, and the first. First, first thing you shoot a mallard, and I shoot a greenhead. <laughs> it is like, okay, this isn't really that much difference. But yeah, you know, when we were pre- preparing for that trip, you know, I was calling everybody trying to find out what we needed to bring. You know, just like any other trip. You know, hey, yeah. what's the weather conditions? You know, what what are, what are we talking about? Well, they were giving me the temperature in Celsius, and they're like, <laughs> it's going to be negative seven, and I'm like, negative seven. And we're going to paddle out? I think we're going to be hiking on ice at negative 7. So finally, it took me a little bit of, uh, I had to keep talking, and finally, you know, somebody said, no, 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 that's Celsius. You know, that's about 19 or or 20 in in Fahrenheit. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not that cold. Uh, Okay, we we can manage with this. But when you're talking about negative 7, I'm thinking, okay, this is uh, every, my gun's going to freeze up. You know, I'm, especially for a southern boy like you. Yeah, this is going to be good. I don't know if I'm yeah. going to be able to wear my shorts during this program. Major uh, shock. Yeah. Well, you still wear your shorts. I, I wore my thought. shorts the whole time. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, you know, and yes, the experience up there was phenomenal. Oh, uh, yeah. I got to laughing at, at the Scott that was with us, uh, RD out of, uh, gosh, where's he RD at? Uh, Scott Turning? Yes. Uh, where yeah, was, he, he lives here in Bismarck. In North Bismarck. Dakota. But the first groups that come by, he's blowing a call, and I looked at him like, what are you doing? I've never diver hunted. 
Oh yeah. So when he's making a so brr, burn. Brr sound, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't even let my kids make it noise. Quit. And he's like, no, just, Jake, just be calm. You know, we, we, we know what we're doing up here. So it was a complete new learning experience for me. It was a, and we had a great time. I mean, everybody was, was really good to hang out with the personalities. Yeah. You know, the food, everything that went along with it, just being able to see the place and see the history and go into, you know, the different buildings there on site was just really a, a, a wonderful experience. And to be able to see everything that went along with it and where Delta started, because Delta's been a research facility. I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but Delta's been doing research since 1938. 38. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was early yeah. 1900s. So, yeah, yeah, a long time, almost, and yeah, and, and that 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 property yeah it was gifted to us in in 1938. That's when we started, and 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 you know having you guys you folks up, Jacob was was fantastic. And just so listeners know what what we did was well, we have a volunteer of the year um, contest, and and Jacob was you won it that year, didn't you or I did. not? Yes, I can't sir. remember now. Yeah, you were the you were the man, Jacob. Poole. I was the um, yeah. It was so short lived, but I sorry? was the man. It was short lived, <laughs> but I was the man for a day or two. Yeah, that's right. Well, we whittle it down to about seven or eight or ten. I think eight people, eight, eight of our our top volunteers, that are the the final uh, um, candidates for the volunteer of the year, and then we have them come up to the Delta Marsh, and and one is to pay back to our top volunteers, and and but also to get those people together so they can share their experiences and share their knowledge, and and it's like you just talk, talking about our our friend out in in uh, in Newfoundland. You know, you, you establish those relationships, hunting with those people, and, and you know them and forever. You and Mark will know each other forever, and you and all that crew. crew. So it's a, it's a very, it's a it's a, a kind of a, I hate to use the phrase payback, it's a payback trip, but it's also very important, we feel, for bringing our top people together so that they can share knowledge and, and establish those relationships. Well, now you say that, uh, Mark and I went on a hunt this past year. I flew up to Newfoundland with another buddy and we, we spent uh, three or four days up there with Mark and, and got to do that North Atlantic hunt. And that was, you know, that was an experience all on its own. Oh yeah. And several of the other chapter members that I got to meet other volunteers that were in that same program, I still talk to on a monthly or bi-monthly basis, you know, whether it's a, a, a text or a Facebook message or, you know, just comments. We keep up with each other. And, you know, like you say, you, we've built that friendship and we keep that friendship going. Uh, I talked to, to one of the RDs, uh, talked to Chris Williams earlier today. Uh, I actually called him and said, Hey, look, I got Petrie on in a little bit. Uh, give me, give me something good to mess with him on. <laughs> so he, uh, Great. <laughs> He wanted to kind of see, uh, he said that if we get you to telling stories, we need to get you to telling stories about your travel experiences. Oh, yeah. He okay. said, you, which, you, which one? Uh, Africa or what well, do you want to he, hear? Africa's a great place to start. But yeah. he, I think where yeah. he was going is you have a tendency to have some of the worst travel things happen during travel. Oh yeah, North American travel. Yeah, I tend to get uh, I tend to get stranded fairly often, and I I've got a rule that once your once your flight's been delayed a third time, you might as well book a hotel room because you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> and I I travel. I haven't been in an airplane since March fifteenth, and uh, which has been different and it's been relaxing. But it's time to get back to work and get back out and see our donors and our our employees and our and our our volunteers such as yourself. But uh, yeah, when things th- if things go south in in air traffic, uh, air, air travel, it, it generally happens to me, and it's a pain. Now, Doc, <laughs> you were in during grad school. You were in South Africa, correct? Yeah, I I, I did uh, undergraduate uh, my undergraduate degree in Ontario, University of Guelph, and then I actually I worked for Ducks Unlimited for a little while, and worked for the Canadian Wildlife Services. Or no, sorry, the Ministry of Natural Resources, and then I went to Africa. I actually did do a contract, and and when I got there, I realized that that uh, it was a biological contract for the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, and I was living on the game reserve a couple hours north of that. And when I got there, it was a botanical working on plants, which I don't find to be all that exciting. And uh, so, and I realized that not much work had been done on arid and semi-arid breeding waterfowl, like Australian waterfowl or South African waterfowl. And, 
uh, you know what? I wanted to go to Africa to travel before I did a master's degree. And I thought, well, why don't I do both at the same time? So I put in a proposal to do work on the white-faced whistling duck. And so about six months after I got there, I started doing my master's. And and then was, when I was finishing that up, I, I never really actually aspired to get a PhD. But then I got offered a, a bunch of money for research and the opportunity to expand my master's into a PhD. So I thought, you know what? If I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And and I wasn't I I, did, I hadn't kind of gotten all the Africa out of my system yet. And just it's just a, a fantastic place. And I, I I I played rugby for five years when I was there. It was my sport of choice and it, I met piles of people and, and, I, and I've said to tons of people that if, if you, if you got an interest in, in hunting, especially big game hunting, um, you yeah, hunt waterfowl there as well. It's, it's very good. There's not that many people doing it, but if you got an interest in hunting or, or wildlife or, or just, you know, traveling and seeing something totally, totally different, I, I highly recommend that, that, everybody that fits any of those categories goes because it's it's life-altering it's something you'll never see it's not it's there's there's nothing like it and the exchange rate's good especially you're changing the the american dollar to the south african rand exchange rate's great and people are great and if you land at at the airports and and rent a vehicle and and don't you don't have to go into the major cities so it's I, i was there five years and didn't see any violence there is violence but you don't have to go into johannesburg and you don't have to go into pretoria you just go and go to the game parks and set things up ahead of time if you're going to hunt and again highly recommended yeah now were you playing rugby before you got down there or is that something you picked up while you were there no i played i started when i was in high school i played football and and did long distance running and, and then and soccer and then when I finished high school there was there was you could still run but there was there was no football and there was still soccer and so I played men's soccer and then I was asked to play rugby and, and I thought wow this is a pretty cool sport you get to hit people and you don't have to wear equipment and and um, the beauty of rugby is uh, you know you play both ways you don't you don't come off you don't play offense or defense. And it's a very social sport. So, you know, the beauty of rugby is it's the one team sport that, that both teams go and have drinks after and sing songs no matter what happens on the field. <laughs> so I started I started when I was 17, and then I, I went over there kind of mid-20s. So I'd been playing quite a while. That's why I was able to play there. And then I played till I was 45. So I guess I had a 28-year career, and which I probably should have made it a 20-year career, a 15-year career. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The My aches, body being in a lot better shape, but no, it was it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, if you follow along with that route, you know, rugby's a lot like most of our duck hunting. You know, it's, it's more of a social event. You know, so it really kind of ties yeah. together. Now, while you were down there, did you have the opportunity? I know you were doing a lot of research, but did you have the opportunity to hunt much while you were there? Well, I funny you should say that. I well, I, I did hunt. I, I bow hunted while I was there, so I and I didn't have much money, so I, I couldn't shoot big five or anything. So you know, I shot a coo and a, a wildebeest, and I, I had an open opportunity to, to shoot warthogs on a neighboring farm, so I'd shoot them all the time and eat them. And but my my research involved shooting, I think if I remember correctly, about four or five hundred uh, four or five hundred white-faced whistling ducks, and then I shot a couple hundred uh, red-billed teal because I was looking at diet and nutrient. Like, body condition and all that kind of stuff because nothing had ever been done so you know by by shooting a a a good sample of birds you could answer all kinds of questions about their energetics and their their feather replacement and their diet and all this kind of stuff so i did a lot of shooting while i was there yeah and but if i if i had unlimited time and money i would go to africa every year and hunt i really would because it's just such a fantastic place I think a lot of our listeners would probably do the same. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if if you like, say unlimited time, unlimited money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would be a nice yeah. setup to get have. that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but a lot of people don't think about you know going there. In that, it, it, I think it costs you about the same to go to Alaska and, and shoot, say, uh, a moose, or Newfoundland and shoot a moose, as it costs you to go to Africa and shoot about five or six plains game animals. So. And a lot of people don't think about it. Obviously, now with COVID, it's not going to happen. But again, it's it's a it's a real affordable thing to do that that everybody should consider. And then there's all you know, as I said, there's duck hunting opportunities there, and upland game bird hunting opportunities as well that are fantastic. 
and and not much pressure well being an avid hunter like you are you know i know i've got favorite hunts i know i've got worst hunts you know whether it be for for not you know having success or just something going completely wrong when we thought it was going to go right or what do you have a hunt that you could say favorite hunt um, I'm going to have to give you two because I, I do love big game hunting and I love waterfall hunting. I, I love all forms of hunting. And and if people and, and and I get asked this question all the time, and and I'm going to give you two examples. But but my general response now, because people say to me, "What's your favorite thing to hunt?" and my response now is, "Whatever I'm hunting right now, because <laughs> 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 whatever I'm killing at, at the time, depends on the season. At the time is my favorite thing." Because um, I love hunting doves, hunt, love hunting moose, it all. But my two favorite hunts, I would say my favorite waterfall hunt was I was I was invited on a, a televised spring snow goose hunt on Southampton Island, which is at the north end of Hudson Bay. And it, it, it's the very tail end of the spring hunt, which is right before they start laying eggs. So, you know, when they're coming up through you know, the central, central U.S. and then up into the prairies, they're in big flocks and they're really hard to hunt. But as they get close, closer to the breeding grounds, they're breaking up into smaller flocks and, and some into pairs, but lots of flocks of five and ten. And, and they become less wary and they're, they're, they're easier to hunt. And uh, so I got invited this on this hunt with um, uh, the Beasley Brothers at Canada in the Rough, and they, they did a, a TV show on it. And we, we lived with the Inuit. We went out on the sea ice, and, and they had cabins on, on the edge of the um, um, some of the shorelines, and, and, and we hunted snow geese. And we saw um, seals, and we saw uh, polar bears, and just all kinds of great things. So that, was, that would be my favorite waterfall hunt. Um, I, my favorite water bird to hunt, I, I think, is sandhill cranes. I, I've only done it a few times, but I absolutely love hunting them. My other favorite hunt was my wife bought me. I've got a fantastic wife. I just celebrated 23 years of marriage. She's been putting up with me for a long time. But for my 40th birthday, she bought a, bought me a caribou hunt in um, in Quebec. And that was probably my, my second favorite hunt. So, yeah. Well, now, anybody that knows you or knows Miss Val realizes that you outpunted your coverage by far. Well, cool, and and you, I can say the exact same thing about you, my friend. <laughs> I haven't met your wife, but I'm friends on Facebook with her, and I've I've seen pictures of her, and you have outpunted your coverage as well, which is a good thing. It's a compliment to your character. <laughs> Doc, I can tell you, there is no doubt on that one, uh, and you're not the first to ever tell me that. So, you know, I thought we'd get Miss Val a good plug in there. That uh, yeah, yeah. Well, my wife will love that. Yeah, she likes hearing that. <laughs> Thanks. She probably is tired of hearing it. She probably hears it quite often. She, she does hear it quite often. <laughs> Makes her proud, though. <laughs> I don't know why, but it does. Well, she she realizes, like mine, that there's an extra halo waiting on her uh, later on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's 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 earning her way through life by putting up with my rear end. So yeah uh, she certainly is angelic i can tell you that yeah mm-hmm. wonderful wife and mother yeah so and and I, and I it comes back to you know becoming a wildlife biologist or wildlife scientist and i taught university for 14 years taught wildlife ecology and management and i i told my students every year which is you know there's always about 150 students in class there's there's only two really important decisions in life two important decisions and one is is your career because you're hopefully going to be in the same type of career and and for a very long period of time, and who you marry, because you want to do it right the first time, and if you don't do it right the first time, do it right the second time. But those are the two most important decisions in life. So you're saying second time, stop after the second time? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't do it right the first time, you can always try the second time. But so far, I've... I, I've been 23 years with my wife, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, what did you so. say earlier? After three, you just lay off of it? Uh, yeah. And that then, wasn't talking you, about marriage. Then, that was talking about something then, else. But uh, Yeah, then you know it's a problem with yourself, and you should just probably give up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common denominator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. All right. Now let's walk through worst hunt. Holy smokes, worst so you, hunt. You hit the, you hit the best hunt oh, real hard. easy like you'd been thinking on that one. So we, we figured we'd throw an extra one at you. Worst hunt. And it can be experience, weather conditions, um, whatever hmm. you think is the one that you remember the most is going down like the Titanic sinking. 
you know, I, I'd really have to think about that because I'm, you know, I've never fallen out of a tree. I've been skunked before, but that, that's fine. Everybody gets skunked, and and uh, uh, it's as you say, it's as much about being out, out there with your friends and family as as uh, anything. So yeah, never fallen out of a tree stand. Never never had any major adversity. So I, yeah, I can't say I've I've loved every hunt, but there's not there is not one that at this point in time stands out as being a total wash. No, no. Mm-hmm. I can Sorry. tell you this one, Doc. We <laughs> had you? a uh, we had a hunt this past year. Uh, we 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 built it up. It was all of the guys from the old duck camp were all getting together. We all met up. We all had dinner. We even recorded a <laughs> podcast. And we had all gone. Several different groups had gone in different directions scouting. And Jeremy and one of the other guys came back and said, "Hey, we found them. This is the spot." <laughs> it's birds landing everywhere. We're we're on the X. We know where we're at. We get up that morning. Oh, what time did we hit the water? Oh, I don't know. We we Four had it. In, we had it in our mind. We were not getting beat. There. I mean, we were we were hunting public land, and we had it in our mind. We were not getting beat there. It, it was it was too early. If it was a if that's a thing. But. Well, we actually had to wake a guy up because they had parked trying to block the spot. Yeah, and we had to wake him up so he could move so we could back the boat in. Yeah. Oh, no way. <laughs> so, yeah, we wake him up. Had to jump his truck off, too. I mean, it was yeah, just Yeah, I think a, that was all part of the uh, part I think of their, that was the he couldn't part move. of their scheme. Yeah, he couldn't move because yeah. he uh, couldn't jump off. And with pool being pool, he was pretty adamant. Like, buddy, what is it going to take to get you out of here? And the guy come up and said, man, I think my battery's dead, pool. So, I got jumper cables. We'll, we'll take care of that for you real quick. So, we, ju- <laughs> we jumped him off right there on the side of the road, and we had him moving. And, I, and I mean, the jumper cable, this was, a, this was a diesel truck. And a jumper cable, we had a little set of, you know, jumpy lawnmower off jumper cables and they were on there about two seconds and his truck fired right up and i look at my buddy i'm like yeah that was that was part of the scheme but pool wouldn't let him have any slack oh, for sure definitely <laughs> but needless to say we got back in there it started raining you know perfect oh, duck man, hunting weather yeah. it's cold it's raining you know usually the nastier the conditions the better the hunt is it's kind of our rule of thumb down here you know it seems like the birds want to fly when it's just just seems like the worst weather imaginable is when it's it's just the best we have the most success well we get out get the boat get the decoys all set up snuggle into our hole and daylight breaks and it's nothing no. in the air it's just one of those that's <laughs> like huh i think the x moved <laughs> so it, it was uh and, and not saying that's the worst hunt we've ever had yeah. we've been skunked before and we didn't get skunked that day we no finally, we didn't get skunked we finally but, scratched out a few yeah but the good thing about it it was that we uh myself and i think it was two or three other guys went back in there it was either the next day or the next day after that and absolutely just just smoked them down but um <laughs> you know well yeah. it doesn't sound like it was too bad no harm no foul if that's your worst hunt then you guys <laughs> well doing pretty darn good the the one that we built up so much with all the guys really wasn't that good yeah they i went mean back like the day after and the birds turned back on i don't know if sun came out but it, it just it happened to be the spot the next day well i guess it was just our anticipation that you know we've been talking about this hunt for a couple of years getting all the guys that you know when we were in our you know late teen years you know we were all gung-ho about it and then you know life happened and responsibilities and all that came along we just don't don't get together like we used to and Mm -hmm. you know we'd been hyping this hunt up for you know several weeks and that we were going to go up like thursday and spend all day friday scouting whatever it took to find them and and myself and another one of our buddies we we felt confident that from what we saw and and all that 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 this was it this was our best opportunity we had not saying that this was going to be the best hunt we ever had but it's going to be the best opportunity for for what we were given that day and it just uh it just didn't turn out quite the way we wanted to but but you know we're we're here talking about it so we uh we 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 had some memories made well i was i was expecting uh jacob pool to say that uh i can say this because i know him well that his first hunt or his worst hunt might have in, included uh, incarceration so i'm glad that didn't happen so it's all no good. no at least i hadn't been a part of that one i have yeah. i have not had that happen doc uh, no, no no that's good not yet good. uh not saying it won't happen but it hasn't happened yet <laughs> we we've been checked an awful lot over the years and and so far we we've, we've sailed through quite well so good man good man and you know, Doc, we've talked about it on here before, and and you travel a lot. You hunt a lot of different areas. 
researching the the state regs or the the area's rules and regulations on on what can be taken uh, you know time of shooting time of you know you need to be out by you know you can save yourself a lot of heartache and misery if you actually check in and, and research those and, and follow the rules because every area is different you know when we were in Canada several years ago the the goose populations numbers that you can keep you can keep up to eight Canadian geese, yeah. excuse me eight geese yeah I remember I got in trouble up there because I told somebody we were going to go shoot Canadians the next morning they're like hey we just call them <laughs> geese here we almost incarcerated yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah know, you know it, it's funny you should say that because you know I being from Canada and and doing almost all of my hunting up there and until you know I till I moved down here um uh, five years ago I am used to very simplified regs you know and every, across Canada you you know you hunt you can shoot from half an hour before sunset or sunrise half an hour after sunset you can and you know there are variations by province but but they're all pretty simplistic especially as you say manitoba you can shoot eight ducks which and almost always there's no species restrictions which is kind of important because you know the, the birds aren't plumed out at that time you know they they're they're not in their breeding plumage any longer and, and juveniles are really hard to identify so it, it does make it easier for the the younger hunter or the newer hunter and and there's a lot less hunters up there so it's it's not as impactful on the population so it, it is quite easy and i did find it it, it uh difficult um or more difficult when i moved to north dakota and, and i hunt throughout various different states with work so i'll i'll be in california arkansas or uh, wherever and what i make a habit of is i just i photograph the regs because i get out there and it's like so how many ringnecks can i shoot <laughs> Because it's it's so variable, and it, it and you're in one state one day, and then you're another state maybe the next day or the next week. So, I'm a big advocate of of, of photographing the regs, and and I, I do think that that we do um, kind of micromanage our waterfowl populations. Though sometimes I, I don't think we have to have quite as many um, uh, species restrictions as we do in in some areas. I'd like to see more harmonization between states. And, and less species-specific regulations, just to make it easier, especially for the new hunter. Because it, you know, again, we've got all these decades of, of waterfowl hunting knowledge in our heads, and it, it's, you know, it's easy for us to identify whatever in flight. But you know, for a new hunter, man, it takes a long time to, to figure those things out, especially if you don't have an experienced hunter with you. So yeah, I, I really feel it's you know, pretty intimidating. I feel like you know, I don't, I don't think of it that way myself of from from doing it for a while, but. You know, I've talked to other people that um, that have said, you know, why do you duck hunt? And I tell them, like, well, man, you want to you want to come duck hunting, or have you ever been duck hunting, or do you want to get into duck hunting? Like, no, it's it's way too much red tape with duck hunting. I'm like, man, it's it's really not. I mean, it, yeah, it's when you look at it on paper, it's pretty intimidating of what you can shoot, what you can't shoot, how many you can yeah. keep of this, how many you can keep of that. But you know, it's it's uh, I think if you if you just look at it, you know, on paper, it's a lot more intimidating than what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess just a question I have from your standpoint, why is that? Why is it more intimidating or why is it, why are there? Well, why are the regulations like they are? Um, well, it, it I, I would, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, in, in the United States, there's, there's about 10 times as many hunters as are in Canada. So it, it does uh, require more strict regulations uh, to ensure that, that we're not over-harvesting waterfowl. And, you know, we've got the, the largest wildlife um, uh, survey, population survey, any in the world, which is a breeding population survey, which is done in throughout uh, um, portions of the U.S. And, and, and Canada, especially the prairie potholes, which unfortunately this is the first year since 1955 that we, we have not been able to do it. So... Um, which which will 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 prevail will be fine, but it, at the end of the day is is to try and um, preclude over harvest of, of any given species in any given year. So that's why they do that. But I I, I do personally think that, that there could be more harmonization and and you know less restrictions. But it's just a, maybe that's the Canadian coming out in me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this: Did y'all ever have the points? 
and that I know of in Canada, I'm, I'm what, 53. I've never experienced it in Canada. I'm not saying it's never happened up there. And uh, I have never experienced it myself. I've, you know, I've heard about it, but I've never hunted in a you know, state that, was, that it had it at a time when I was That was there. one of the most intimidating things. You know, if you killed a hen or if you killed this, you know, you had to really keep up and make sure you hadn't messed up yeah, one duck and you're done yeah you know? one duck you yeah. could mess up and be over your point or be at your points mm-hmm. and it's like oh okay um and that was a lot that was from you know i wasn't you know hunting during that time but that's what i hear from a lot of older hunters that got them out of it because it took yeah. uh, i mean it's just it was way too much to keep up with yeah and I, unfortunately they're yeah almost all hunters are ethical but you know like anything in life you've got your unethical component and from what i've heard there's there there were you know certain number of people that would would uh make that high point bird go away just so that they could keep shooting which right. is you know right. totally unethical so um and i i can't i don't have other than that I, I i've never experienced the the point system so i can't fully you know disregard it or or suggest that it's a bad thing but um yeah it's 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 something i haven't experienced myself from a hunter's perspective though um you know from from talking to people that that had to i guess you could say live through it um i could definitely you know see where some of the you know frustration could come from you know from having to you know keep up with a point system on a you know a, a mallard hen versus a you know a mallard drake or you sure. know, a pintail drake and, and you know i could i could definitely see where you know it could take a lot of the enjoyment out of it i believe yeah oh yeah because you know you know some some people when you, you first start if you can't identify you know the difference between say a, a ring neck hen and a redhead hen or or your canvas back and a, and a and a redhead so it and it's difficult and i I certainly do um, feel for folks that you know that are part of that learning curve, especially when you got species-related uh, um, uh, restrictions and, and you're you're unable to hunt with somebody that's got experience. Look, I can tell you this: being from South Mississippi, several years ago I was in Arkansas and a canvasback come sailing in, and we popped it, and I had to sit there for several minutes before I actually realized what it was. Um, dog, <laughs> dog had picked it up, and I'm like, what? What if I what shot? Uh, that's not yeah. That's not on our normal list. Uh, so, so <laughs> then yeah, it's I mean, not on your list. Yeah, you're not sure what to do. Uh, shot a <laughs> same same time frame. We took a golden eye. Was able to harvest yeah. a golden eye, and it took six or seven of us from the camp before somebody finally said, "Hey, I know what that is." Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's not a species we get very often, so it was like, "Where did that thing come from?" I mean, it's. Uh, I think that that day was probably the most unique lanyard I had ever, or, or strap I had ever had. I think I had six yeah. different Drake species, and it was—I mean, from a pintail to a mallard to a—I think I had a wood duck, a teal, a, a golden eye, and a canvasback. And it was like, where did this come from? This is the yeah. weirdest mixed bag of ducks I've That's ever fantastic. had the ability to harvest. <laughs> And it was just the area we were hunting that we were surrounded by a couple of big lakes and we were in basically an old catfish pond area and they were picking up coming to those ponds and it was like, Hey, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to eat every one of them. So I don't really care. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, sure. Actually, funny story. I was hunting in California. Oh, maybe 10 years ago, eight, 10 years ago. And I was at the, the Bering ranch and, uh, they they put me out in a sunken drum. I was by myself, and I was to jump out of the drum and return my own ducks, which is fine. And as soon as I get out there, I thought, man, this could be over in 10 minutes because there's just so many ducks. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and shoot it. There was a seven-bird limit. Uh, I'm going to try and shoot seven different drakes, and which stretched it out to an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. And, and that's what I did. I shot seven seven different species, you know, a greenie and a pintail and a shoveler. And shovelers are beautiful in California in, in January. And I get back to the lodge, and there's there's two members and their two sons, and they've got 48 ducks laid out on the tailgate of the truck, and there's uh, um, or 28. What was it? Four? Yeah, 28. Yeah, ducks. Say, Hold on, doc. And, Somebody was uh, over yeah, the limit. About to be incarcerated. <laughs> no, 20, 28 ducks, and 26 of them are mallards, and two of them are are uh, gadwall or gray ducks, as I think you guys call. And uh, and the one father said, "Yeah, my my son made a couple of mistakes. He shot a couple of gray ducks." 
<laughs> then I laid my seven ducks out with my my greenie and my spoonie, <laughs> and they all looked at it and they looked at me with disgust, and they said, "Why in the heck did you do that?" <laughs> like, well, because I wanted to. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. Anyways, it's it's fun to shoot different species. Well, and a lot of people are not used to it. Yeah. If you're from down here, and I've been on some really fantastic hunts over the years, and then I've also been on a lot of those scratches, and most every duck hunter has. But when you go on a hunt where you have the opportunity where there's so many birds and you have the ability to do that, it's it's really, you know, it's kind of a testament to not only the the area that you're in, but your ability as a hunter to be able to distinguish them. It, it, you know, it's just a different you know, people have different goals when they go out. Hey, I want to get a limit. When you can do that in a different time frame like that and on a different set of species, that's really just, a, like you say, that hunt became memorable because you did it that way. Yeah, exactly. Had you yeah, just gone it is and shot the first thing to that have the in? opportunity to be selective. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I, you know, I, I, I have no, no problem with people shooting hens. You know, some people have this this uh massive adversity to, to shooting hens and hey look if i've got if i've got three ducks in front of me i'm going to shoot two drakes first but if i still have a shell on my gun i'm going to go for a triple i'm going to try and shoot that in and i i personally don't there's been studies that have been done that have shown that you know harvesting some hens does not impact populations and and i, I hate to see new hunters have have a, a further kind of a, a social restriction that oh you can't shoot any hens um, so we try to avoid to do, doing it, but you know, especially new hunters, it's like you know what, just get out there and shoot some ducks and have fun. I and, say, uh, boss, most yeah. of the people I hunt with, if it flies, it's it's fair game. Uh, yeah, they're not really, you know, they're they're trying to make sure they stay within their limit. But yeah, you know, whether it's it's male or female is not on the agenda. <laughs> you know, when it's when well, it's and, you know, we're in. we're very lucky in, in North America that. Through you know great harvest regulations and you know fairly I'm not going to say too too but fairly restrictive but but really good harvest regulations over time and and excellent monitoring of waterfowl populations and, and good habitat management you know we've we've got great water waterfowl populations are, are doing very well and uh, we, you know we need to keep keep on it we need to keep monitoring we keep we need to keep our, our regulations in place and we need to continue to contribute to habitat management. And creation, but uh, you know, we've collectively, um, government agencies, non-government agencies, and and the, the hunting public as a whole have done a, a really good job of ensuring that we still have what we have. So we should be proud of that. Absolutely, Doc. We are uh, we're getting toward the end of the episode here, but man, we've we have thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, and looking forward to this series we got with y'all. We know we're going to be what take up three. Uh, know we're going to get three episodes in over the next that'd be great so, uh, yeah. so man we, we've thoroughly enjoyed this one we're out of time everybody we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk and God bless God ain't bless ain't nothing like a southerner Lord to make you feel alright I got the windows down I got the radio on